0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's, his people, Ray Comfort, on living without compromise in a world in need of truth.
1: I have a secret weapon, and it's biblical. Number one, Jesus was heard and that he feared, so having a fear of God also enhances your prayer life. And the Apostle Paul said, Wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Well, that's an interesting motivation to persuade men, wherefore knowing the terror of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord will get us off our pews, get us out of the lazy boy and doing what we're commanded to
0: do. Ray Comfort, next. Like the biblical Daniel in Babylon, today's guest says modern believers are exiles in a hostile culture. Evangelist Ray Comfort says Christians face what he calls lions, the seemingly easier road of moral compromise, the lure of wealth and influence, and the temptation to give in to our fears or apathy. Yet, as Ray points out, we are called to obey God rather than man. Join me now as I talk with Ray Comfort about his new book, So Many Lions, So Few Daniels, Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth. Ray, introduce us to the message of So Many Lions, So Few Daniels, and how it stands out from your many other books.
1: Well, it was written out of a a righteous indignation. I saw a t-shirt a a number of years ago that said, uh, Too Many Christians, Not Enough Lions. And so I wrote this book out of righteous indignation because we're living in very dark times, and we need Christians to step up and to be courageous and to be like Daniel, who uh, flung his windows open um, fearlessly uh, because he feared God rather than he feared man. And that's what we need in this in these closing hours of time.
0: Well, how is uh, Daniel's context in Babylon? There's been a lot written about this, obviously, too, but how is it similar to our context today in the U.S.?
1: Well, the Bible says, Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I love the uh, the way Scripture just gives us so much. Um, it says, whom he may devour. That's a word of permission. If we're in his territory, he may devour us. And so, As Christians, we've got to keep our hearts free of sin. No lust, no lying, no stealing, no blasphemy, no adultery, no fornication. We stay away from sin because we don't want to give place to the devil. And that gives us boldness. And the key is to be like Daniel, to have a fear of God, cultivate a fear of God rather than a fear of man. When you get a glimpse of what God is like, he's not the old guy in the sky sitting on a cloud wearing a pink nighty, truck playing touch fingers with Adam. That's just so crazy. Um, People do have that image of the old man in the sky. Mm -hmm. But all it takes is sitting through a a thunderstorm in Texas to put a bit of fear of God in you, to realize that God created the lightning, that he precedes the lightning in his speed. His voice is like thunder. He created it. He made the sun, which of this earth fits in in the volume of the sun a million times. How could any being create the sun? and set it in the heavens, and it's just warm enough to ripe out tomatoes. So understanding the the greatness of God, the power of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the revelation of what God is like helps us to cultivate a fear of God that will help us keep our hearts free of sin and, therefore, be bold. Because when you've got guilt in your heart, you don't want to come before God boldly. If you give yourself to sin, you don't want to open the Bible, you don't want to talk to God, you want to be like Adam and run from God. But when you fear God, Through the fear of the Lord, men depart from sin. That gives us boldness uh, to come before the throne and ask what we will.
0: I guess one big question here right at the top is how do you cultivate a fear of God which combats the fear of man?
1: Yeah, it's important to understand the fear of God. Um, Jesus said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Or um, who has power... To uh, condemn you, and when you understand the the power of God to condemn, it helps us get a grip of what the fear of the Lord is. By that I mean, I believe it's more than just a reverence for God. Let me give an illustration. I was in a, in New Zealand for most of my life before I came to the U.S. and our police didn't have guns; they had sticks, if they. Criminal was naughty that hit him with a stick. And England were the same.
0: Yeah. They didn't
1: have guns until like 30, 30 or so years ago. And so when I came to the US, I had a great advantage over other open air preachers. When a police officer walked towards me, and I had it happen over a dozen times to have his gun. I didn't look at his face, his eyes, his hands. I looked at his gun because I wasn't used to seeing police officers with guns. And I realized that he could kill me if he, he wants to get home at night if I move too quickly. I uh, move my hands too quickly. He could just shoot me and it'd be legal if he was in danger of his life or thought he was in danger of his life. So when a police officer said to me, I'd like you to move now, I'd say, yes, sir. Where would you like me to move to? There was no uh, officer. You're a, you're a servant of the people. This is my First Amendment right. I never even thought of saying things like that because he had a gun. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of thing Jesus was speaking of. Fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards do no more. But fear him who has power to destroy your soul in hell. Fear what God can do to you. That's a wholesome fear. That's uh, the psalmist says. My 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 heart trembles for fear of you. I give an illustration of how I experienced the fear of the Lord before I became a Christian. This was six years before I came to Christ. I was sixteen years old. I found myself at night with a gorgeous sixteen-year-old female lying in long grass behind a dance hall. For me, it was exciting. A gorgeous female alone, my, my intentions were not honorable. But she said something that put the fear of God in me. This is what she said. It was five or six words, maybe a few more. She said this as we lay there. You know what? God's watching us. And it was like a great bucket of ice fell from the heavens, and there was a puff of steam. And I said, let's go back into the dance hall. And I look back and I thank you. I say, thank you, Lord.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Your fear caused me to depart from evil, as the Bible says. And so I, I not only thank God for it happening then, but I cultivate the fear of God. I think of what God is like. I realize the eye of the Lord is in every place beholding the evil and the good. You see, pornography is incredibly attractive to a sinful heart. Mm-hmm. It gives instant pleasure to a man. Um, So I refrain from it, not because it doesn't give pleasure or because it's harmful for me. I refrain from it because I know the eye of the Lord is in every place beholding the evil and the good, and he'll bring to judgment every evil thing, whether it is good or evil. And I thank God for that because my heart is desperately wicked, and I know who the enemy is. It's not just the devil. It's my own heart, and I've got to reckon it dead, as the Apostle Paul said.
0: Well, the book is So Many Lions, So Few Daniels, Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth. My guest is Ray Comfort. He's an evangelist and author of many books, founder of Living Waters Publication. So, so Ray, you're saying then this, it's this fear of God that, that, uh, that you deliberately cultivate, as you just explained. Is that what, in a sense, gives you the courage to go into a lot of these contexts that you do, maybe your local college or just the public in general? And you never know what you're going to encounter. You're asking people questions that point to biblical truth. And here we are in a, in a people say, a post-Christian culture. I mean, you don't know what kind of hostility you're going to uh, encounter.
1: I have a secret weapon, and it's biblical. Number one, Jesus was heard and that he feared. So having a fear of God also enhances your prayer life. And the Apostle Paul said, Wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Well, that's an interesting motivation to persuade men, wherefore knowing the terror of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord will get us off our pews, get us out of the lazy boy and doing what we're commanded to do. Um, My secret weapon is the weapon that Jesus used. Um, Charles Spurgeon called the weapon that I use our greatest auxiliary our most powerful weapon. This is what it is. It's the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, applied to the conscience of the sinner. And by that I mean, when I let's, let's say I meet a guy in the local college. I go to a local college twice a day. I see someone sitting down. He looks a little intimidating. He's got a beard and earrings and long hair, and he's kind of big. But I know what I can do. I know that I can do what Jesus did and go up to him and begin in the natural and say, hi, hey, how you doing? Would you like to come on YouTube? Our channel's got 261 million views. I'd love to interview and see what you think about the afterlife he says, sure. So, okay, Fred, can I permission to interview He says, yeah. Fred, tell me what you believe. He says, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in an afterlife. I think we're just products of evolution. So I say, so you really don't believe in God? You you believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? He says, what? I said, do you really believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created created everything, flowers and birds and trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, the fruits, puppies and kittens, male and female, the marvels of the human eye, the miracle of childbirth, everything happened because nothing created it. He says, oh, I don't really yeah, believe that nothing created it. it. was something in the beginning. You just do not want to call it God. Is that right? He says, yeah. So, well, Fred, could you tell me, and be honest with me, can you do that? He says, yeah. Fred, could you tell me do you think it's because you know God requires moral accountability and you don't want to face God or believe in God because you're doing things you know are morally wrong? And often their mouth will turn up at the edges and you can see, yeah, uh, they say, often i will even say, yeah, you're right. They're like Adam, hiding from God because of their transgression. They're like a thief running from the police because they don't want to face the police. So they do the ostrich and put their head in the sand, ignoring the genius of God's creative hands through his creation. So, then I say, Fred, I'm going to go to your conscience. I've been into your intellect. You okay with me going to your conscience? He says, sure. I'm going to address your conscience. You think you're a good person? He says, I'm a really good person. Fred, can you tell me how many lies have you told in your life? He says, oh, lots. Have ever stolen something? Yeah, just little things. Have ever used God's name in vain? He says, yep, yep. Bit of a bad habit there. I said, do you love your mommy? He says, yeah. He says, would you ever use her name as a cuss word? He said, no, never. I says, it's because you respect her, but you don't respect the God that gave you a mother. You've used his name in blasphemy as a cuss word. What's happening is his conscience is bearing witness with the commandments, as Romans 2, verse 14 and 15 tells us. He's getting a knowledge of sin because the Bible says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul says, by the commandment, sin became exceedingly sinful. The scriptures speak of the commandment being a lamp and the law is light. So he's getting light as to his state before God, his moral state before God. And then we go to the trump card. Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Fred, have you ever done that? He says, do it all the time. So here's a quick summation, Fred. You've told me you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, at heart. Have sex before marriage? He says, yeah, plus a fornicator. So on judgment day, are going to be innocent or guilty? He says, well, I'll be guilty. Heaven or hell? <laughs> looks like I'm heading for hell. And now he's primed to hear the good news of the gospel. He's convinced of the disease. Five minutes ago, he was an atheist serving sin. Now he's a sinner realizing he's in big trouble. And now the gospel becomes good news to him that Christ died for our sins. We broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. Now God can dismiss our case, take the death sentence off us, all because of that death and resurrection and repent and trust in the Savior. And then he'll turn to me, and this happens all the time. Hey, I've never heard this put like this before. Thank you for talking to me. Because he can see that my love for him is genuine. And I'm just trying to warn him because he's in danger. We're to warn every man that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Because that's what we have to face on judgment day. A perfect God with a perfect law. And Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And none of us are perfect. That's why we need a Savior.
0: So, I, I, and I believe you, you point out, uh, I, I believe you point this out in your book that, and as you just did here before, you can give someone the cure, you have to convince them that they have the disease.
1: Absolutely. It doesn't make sense. If, if you give someone a cure and they think they're well, they'll say, get that out of my face. Why do you want to get that cure out of my face? They'll be offended. But if you make him sweat, on the x-rays, he begins to become heart palpitating and mouth dries up. He says, whoa, what should I do? Now he's ready for the cure. He'll appreciate and appropriate. The x-rays are the commandments, the law of God. They show us our true condition and the gospel is the cure. And that's the cure for every ill of this nation. Pro-life issue, we tend to fight the symptoms. We've got to get other cause. It's the wicked heart of man that needs changing. I love what uh, Einstein said. He said, it's easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of man. Hmm. Well, the gospel does it, completely transforms us. That's the miracle of the gospel.
0: Ray, I'm wondering, just often you hear the, the approach uh, that people will take when they uh, are about to share the gospel with somebody, the first thing that they'll say is, well, there's a couple of things, but one is, God loves you. What is your thought on that as, a, as an introductory approach?
1: It's a huge mistake. Because they, they're forgetting the fact, well, number one, you don't find that happening in Scripture without the cross. But let's just go back to what's happening. God's a judge. We're criminals. We've violated his law. If I'm standing in front of a, a judge and I've got a criminal there, I don't want to tell him straight off because he's committed heinous crimes like rape and murder. The judge really likes you. No, that's going to just make the whole thing weird. You want him to tremble because he's broken the law and be sorry for his crimes. Now, when the Bible speaks of the love of God, and it's very, very important to understand this, it's always in direct correlation to the gospel or the cross. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only begotten Son. There's the cross. God commended his love toward us. and While sinners Christ died for us, there's the cross. Galatians 2.20, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, says Paul. So if you want to show someone how much God loves them, don't just say God loves you. No, show them his love through the cross. And the cross won't make sense if you don't open open up his commandments and show we're heading for hell it'll make no sense at all. They've got to understand they've sinned against God to understand God's love and truth. So just do what Jesus did. Open up the commandments, then preach the cross, and then say, God loved you so much, He sent a Savior despite the fact you've sinned against Him. That's when the love will shine. It shines best in the darkness of wrath.
0: Ray, obviously, as you said, you go uh, twice a day when, when your local college is open. You You have insight into where the the younger generation is today in terms of biblical knowledge in terms of these things what about if the person you're talking to and, and perhaps you made this case already a little bit about the guy that said he was the atheist but that doesn't believe the bible or has almost no biblical knowledge
1: yeah it's a it's a really good question and it's very important to realize this god's word is quick and powerful sharper than a two-edged sword and cuts through the marrow of the bones if someone says to me I don't I don't believe the Bible, I just say in my mind, I don't care. I'm coming at you with a two-edged sword. If you hold a two-edged sword to my throat and I say, I don't believe in the swords, it's not going to change anything. You just go, I haven't got a head. So it's very important to trust in the weapons that God has given us and not be intimidated by someone who says, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the afterlife, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, guess what they're called? Unbelievers. And they're the ones we talk to. And don't um, don't look down on the power of the gospel. The gospel transforms the heart. One day I didn't believe back in nineteen seventy-two, the next day I did. You see, our, our job isn't to convince someone the Bible's the word of God. That's a really hard road to a hoe. Um, let me tell you what I mean. Yep. Let's say you're an unbeliever and say, I don't believe the Bible. But I'm able to convince you Adam and Eve did exist because evolution makes no sense. They had to be a male and female. They had to be able to reproduce after their own kind. And they had to be made in God's image with a knowledge of right and wrong, reflecting the very character of God. Because animals don't do what human beings do and have a thought, concern for justice. And you say, okay, I believe in Adam and Eve. Okay, now I've got to convince you that one man built a boat that held all the animals on the earth. There was a man who killed a thousand people, the jawbone of the donkey, and the strength was in his hair. And one man spoke to the sun and stopped it with the power of God. Another man or donkey spoke to him. And uh, all these stories, like Jonah being swallowed by a a big fish and Jesus walking on water and multiplying loaves and fishes, That's the problem I've got if I stay in the intellect and try and convince them the Bible's the word of God. No, no. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and convince them the Bible's the word of God. He says go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature because the gospel opens the understanding. It opens our eyes. And so you realize once the gospel has transformed you on the inside and you pass from darkness to light, from death to life, you realize the reason God has chosen all these Funny-sounding stories is because he has used foolish things to confound the wise. Anyone who's intellectual, proud, will never stoop to believe the silly Bible stories. That's the wisdom of God. He put the door very low. So only those who humble themselves will say, yeah, I trust God despite what my intellect says. I can see his wisdom. Jesus said, I thank you, O oh God, my father. You've hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. The way of salvation is a way of humility and childlike faith. That's offensive to a proud, arrogant, self-righteous person, and that's the wisdom of God.
0: Ray, what is your goal in the encounters that you you have, whether it's just the public in general or if it's uh, on a college campus or wherever? Is it to lead them to Christ, or is it, in a sense, to get them thinking?
1: It's to plant seed. You know, when I, if I got a veggie garden, which we haven't got, we don't have room, but I love veggie gardens. If I plant a veggie garden, I have nothing to do with growing the tomatoes. God makes them grow. If I plant an apple tree, I don't make it come alive. I don't make it produce apples. I pick the apples, I plant the seed, but the power is in the seed. Well, I don't go around getting decisions for Jesus. I can't get anyone saved. I can't cause them to bear fruit. It's God that does that miracle of conversion. So your methodology, or your theology, or reveal your methodology. If you really believe salvations of the Lord, and you can't get anyone saved, you'll just trust in the Lord, plant the seed of the gospel, and He'll save them in His time. One sows, one waters; the other reaps. Sometimes I reap, which is wonderful. I still can't take any credit if I pick the apples; so I didn't make them. And, and most of the times, I'm sowing in tears, knowing that someone else is going to reap.
0: Well, obviously, you're, you're you you uh, are. Advocating a message that uh, it's, it, on the one hand, it's winsome. On another hand, it does show the, uh, the, the wrath that is there. And yet, y- you stress the importance of a certain tone or attitude in, in talking to people. We have to be mindful of that.
1: Your tone is very important. Um, there's an earnestness and a gentleness intermingled. Uh, Earnestness, because this person, if they die tonight, is going to hell. So we should be horrified. They should hear tears in our voice, won't see them in our eyes because we're hard hearted but it should be in our voice. And then, love can be in a tone. You know, you can you can talk to someone like you talk to a dog. Sit, roll over. I'm going to do this, or you can talk to them like you talk to your wife when she's been injured. Mm. The Bible says the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance, the acknowledging of the truth. So we should talk to people like we talk to a blind man. If a blind man walks into your room and trips over a chair, you can't get angry at him. He cannot see. The Bible says the ungodly cannot see. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The eyes are blinded, so we have to be gentle and loving and patient with them.
0: Ray, I'm wondering, and this is a slightly different uh, scenario, but uh, many times we may get a, a knock on the door. One of two, usually one of two major religious groups are there, uh, if, if it's a religious group on the doorstep. Any recommendation on how to engage them, or is it is it the same way?
1: No, it's slightly different. Um, number one, you'd be super nice to them because often doors slam in their face and sometimes Christians even say, I've just got my own belief, thank you. No, you don't have to invite them in. You can talk to them in your doorstep if you're worried about, you know, commending their false doctrine by inviting them in. But this is what I usually say. Hi, you Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes, we are. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm Ray. How you doing? Um, Good. Uh, I'm a Christian, but can I ask you a question? They say, yeah, go ahead there's a knife in my back. I've got three minutes to live. Could you tell me how can I enter the kingdom? I use their phraseology. Mm -hmm. And immediately they flounder. The Jehovah's Witness thinks he can earn his way to heaven by gaining knowledge, by doing good works, going door to door. And so he's thrown into a dilemma. He says, well, three minutes. Well, uh, you know, it's pretty difficult because you have to gain knowledge and you have to have good works and you have to pray and I say, come on, i got two minutes, I'm terrified of dying, help me. And they usually say, I can't help you, I'm sorry. So I think of the thief on the cross, and I share with the fact that he was saved by grace through faith, he was a thief, he had a knowledge of sin, he turned to Jesus in repentance, he acknowledged his sins, and I say, do you think you're a good person? And that's usually the root cause of their self-righteousness. And I take him through the commandments and say, that's why Jesus died. He suffered and died, took the punishment. And so I just share the seed of the gospel, don't have to argue with them, and say, I want to thank you for listening. If you, you're going to think about what we talked about, and often as Jehovah's Witnesses will say, yeah, this has really made me think, because they're trusting in their own works, because they've never seen their sin in its true light. And so uh, there's the gentleness, and that three minutes to live is a real good thing, because it reveals what they're trusting in.
0: The new book is So Many Lions, So Few Daniels, Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth. Ray, I'm thinking of the person who might just be coming upon our conversation right now, maybe on the radio, maybe online. What, what would you say to that person who who would say they're not a believer in Jesus?
1: I'd say you could die tonight. Listen to the voice of your conscience. Go through the commandments. Read the Sermon on the Mount. As much as lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart you've hated someone, you're a murderer, the scriptures say. Lying lips are an abomination of the Lord, and on judgment day, you're going to be in big trouble. You need a savior. That's why Jesus died, taking up punishment. We broke the law. He paid the fine. So don't put it off until tomorrow. Right now, repent and trust in Jesus, and you've got God's promise, and He cannot lie. You'll pass from death to life.
0: Ray, of course, we've been uh, we, early on, and your book it focuses on Daniel. And at the same time, I'm wondering, what can we learn about how Jesus witnessed to people, it seems at times he was very, very strong, even harsh, and at other times very, very kind and compassionate.
1: Yeah, the difference is uh, the ground you're sowing on. If someone's self-righteous, they need the wrath of the Lord, they need to tremble. But if someone's like a, a Nicodemus who says, we know you have come from God, for no man can do this, you give them the cross. He had a knowledge of sin. Think of the woman at the well. She is living in adultery. Jesus didn't hesitate to talk to her about her sexual sin. He was alone with a woman, yet he still did it because he cared. And so if we care, we'll talk to people about their sins, always show generous and love and hold up the reality of the cross, and challenge them to get right with God straight away because they don't know if they're going to die. What a terrible thing to listen to the gospel and then die in your sins that night. So there's a sense of urgency.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, evangelist Ray Comfort, author of So Many Lions, So Few Daniels, Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Kristen Weatherell with encouragement on how to grow our hunger for God's Word. Just keep coming and just keep praying and pleading with God to revive the heart. And um, it may not happen immediately, but in my personal experience, the Lord is very kind. And um, he always does, even if it's in unexpected ways. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.